This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for iUniverse. This is J. Douglas Barker. This book is titled Quest of a Teenage Mystic. I'm not sure if it's a uh, fiction or nonfiction, but our author, Susan Ware, joins me from Alberta, Canada. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Good to visit with you. The title is interesting. Is this a biographical sketch, or is it a fictional work? It's a fictional work, yeah. It's um, a culmination of, of exploration and searching into the metaphysical world for many, many years. And uh, it's also a fiction to help teens. So it's kind of a mixture. How long have you wanted to be an author? How long have you been on this quest? Well, I've never set out to be an author. Um, writing this, this writing just—I've been writing for years, and it just sort of comes to me. And it's pictures, and it's like a movie in my head. And I really don't have much of a choice other than to to write it out. It's it's an exciting process, actually. Um, but an actual desire to be an author wasn't there. Just the desire to get out on paper what was going on in my head. You've penned 232 pages in this particular novel. How long did it take to complete, Susan? Um, off and on, probably three or four years. I was teaching in and around writing it, so I'd grab a month here, I'd grab a couple weeks there. It was done sort of on the fly. You have mentioned that your book is specifically targeted towards teens. What do you think teens will get out of reading this particular novel, Quest of a Teenage Mystic? Well, it has it has several levels to it. It can be just a fun adventure read, and, and that's it. But it also can be a recipe for living that gives answers to teens with things they struggle with today. Um, like it can help them to discover that their own personal strengths and weaknesses, and then especially help them to learn how to turn weakness into strength. I don't think that's a tool that a lot of teens have these days. Um, it helps them to learn how to find their own answers and solutions by looking inside themselves. They're, most kids today don't even know there's an inner world that they can explore. We're such an um, external, outward-looking society. Another thing they can discover that's kind of fun is is that they are and that life is not what they think it is, that we are so much more than we believe we are and that we're so much more powerful than we could ever imagine. Um, kids dream of being rich and famous and watch TV where people are wealthy, famous, and happy, and they think that's the only way they can be happy. But what they'll discover in this book is that the ultimate goal of finding your own purpose in this life is where you find happiness. And if you stumble onto your own purpose, it kind of makes your life feel electrically alive, like you're connected to everything and you have meaning in, in, in every day. Um, you don't need to be rich and famous to be happy. You just have to figure out who you are. And the part that I think is most important that hopefully they will get is they can understand and discover that life is based on unity, not on separation. This one concept that we're all connected can change absolutely every aspect of our lives. It turns our actions upside down and inside out, sort of moving us out of destruction and into power and peace. Um, this sounds a little complex, but it's a fiction, and these messages come through um, through the adventures that the 
that the teens, the teens go through in the book. And by the end, this message is pretty clear and undeniable. What is the name of your primary character in this novel? Sean Mason. He has three friends that um, join him reluctantly in in the adventures that they that they go through. You've also, uh, I understand, developed a website. What is your website designed to do for teens? Well, it's actually as important as the book. They walk hand in hand. The novel is the inspiration, um, but the website is the means to lead the readers into their own understanding of their own lives and purpose. Um, it guides them through a process so they can look at their own issues, their strengths and weaknesses, and discover how to find solution and answers in, in their everyday. Um, what I love about it the most is that it's a path they can walk together with a friend um, because kids really need each other, teens. Um, and they can practice together exploring their thoughts and beliefs and to experiment with each other and trying to turn negative and destructive thoughts into more positive ones. So basically, together, they're taking control of their lives and learning how to transform them into happier, more exciting ones. Um, but the last part of the website is what I find most exciting of all, and that's that I've created a space called Our Live Netbook or a Living Network Book. And this is for the readers who have chosen to experiment and live the concepts that are in the book and the website. And it's a place where they can send their best photos, their artwork, their writing that describes and shows how these principles and ideas are working in their life. Um, this live net book is their book, and it becomes the third book of my trilogy. It's one thing for me to lay out a map of how life unfolds, but they have to walk it to see where it goes and how it unfolds, and it's their lives, their generation, their world, and I'm really curious to see where these ideas take them. You, know, you say you have a personal mission or purpose in life. You say we all do. Uh, what is your particular purpose, and how did you find it? Hmm. I didn't really find it. It, it found me. Um, when I was young, the pain and the suffering of people felt like my own pain. And actually, I think I probably suffered more than the actual person who was hurting, and it, it almost broke me. So as I aged, I was driven to figure out exactly how life worked. I wanted to learn how to stop the pain. And in studying and researching and reading, I began to see systems and patterns that shone a light on suffering, and I began to understand how to work with suffering by following its lead. And eventually I came up with the system that I work with and the system I write about. So it actually turned out that the worst difficulty of my life led me to my purpose and meaning in life. And then in my 40s, I went back to teaching and was appalled at the stress and the pain that my students were going through. So I went to work again to modify my writing to work with teens. And I taught guidance and life skills to teens and slowly was able to adapt what I had learned to their lives. And it was from all of that that this trilogy grew. If you could speak to the teenagers, if there were teenagers in my audience, and if you were, again, in front of teens, talking with them, how would you address them? What's the one thing you want teens to understand? Hmm. I think that this world and all the people in it are one interconnected system, but we're acting as if everything and everyone was divided and separate. And no wonder we're in so much pain. This this is kind of like one branch of a tree trying to destroy another branch of the same tree and then wondering why the whole goddamn tree is dying. We know we're hurting each other, our world and even ourselves, but we don't understand how or what to do about it. Um, so my book can help teens to see a simple way to move from living a life of division and destruction to, leaving, to living a life of unity. Um, and from this more elevated view, 
hopefully they may begin to see patterns and connections in their own lives and they might learn how to get out of the way in order to allow those patterns to unfold in their lives. It's a transformative process and really exciting. It sounds way more complex than it is. As I say, the novel is a fiction and it, it easily unfolds how this interconnectivity between us all works. And then, of course, the website carries the, carries those concepts. You've shared, you've shared that this is a trilogy. What is your vision and what do you think will be accomplished by the trilogy? I just wonder what could happen if small pockets of teens were to understand the concept of unity and oneness and then be willing to experiment with it together. And what if this one simple idea for change was to actually travel on their social media? We know how far-reaching ideas are in this world today with media. I, I just wonder where teens could and would take the idea if they were inspired to do so. We've, we've done a poor job of giving teens a society that uplifts them and gives them answers and direction. Um, I just want to lay out the ideas and the means to change and then see if the teens run with it. It's going to be their world. Yeah, the term or the concept of honor is important to you and important in your book. How would you describe that, and what is your feeling about its importance? Well, it's funny. I had a dream years ago, and it's never left me. The beginning of the dream is important, but the end of it is really important. The words at the end were, look deep inside yourself, find the best you can be, and be it. And then look out into the world around you, find the best you can do, and do it. This is honor. And I woke up with those words flowing through me. Um, our teens are really bombarded by self-seeking and self-absorbed messages from the many forms of media today. They're exposed to violence as a solution to problems. They're exposed to the accumulation of wealth as the road to happiness, to exploitation, greed, and revenge as an acceptable means to an end. These messages lead them in the opposite direction from honor. So I just wonder what would happen if teens rebelled and chose that higher road. Could they make a change in our world? Or could their actions and change of heart transform our destructive ways? I don't know, but I would love to find out. And that's why I've written this book, and that's why I created the website. You mentioned Sean Mason as being one of your key characters. Uh, is there a scene or a couple of scenes in here that might get our, our listeners interested in reading more of uh, your book? Well, they, they are wrenched out of their ordinary lives, and they're thrown into alternate realities and dimensions. Um, they have to go through a series of tests and challenges, and if they succeed, humanity will not self-destruct. It's like they were trained before they were born and now they have to go through these challenges to bring that training into their conscious awareness um, and they become involved with so many weird quirky funny and often scary characters there's a lowly castle watchman named Xavier Steppenlow and his helpers who are five really not so very dignified elderly gentlemen and they help us, the characters help us to understand a little bit more of life and often are kind of quirky and humorous about it. Um, the kids lock horns with Sir Brian, who is an ancient, surly, argumentative and stubborn man, hundreds, maybe thousands of years old, who's there to guide him and they're dependent on him and very distrustful of him at the same time. Weird things, they find themselves riding a giant sneeze into a dimension where they learn how to manifest anything they want. Um, Sean ends up locked away in a mud hut, left to starve, um, and it's up to him to find the key in that situation. He finds himself lost in the body of a young boy in India who's dying in the streets, and he has to find the key to get out of that situation. And he also wakens in one of his own past lives. Um, near the end, he has to dive down a deep well to find the ultimate truth of his own existence. And he succeeds in this, 
but then the real challenge comes later that he has to prove that he can bring his own purpose um, into the world, which is what I'm challenging all the kids to do, is to find that purpose and bring it into the world. Um, so this book is kind of like a hearty meal with a delectable dessert, I like to think. Most books are just dessert, but my hope with this book and website is to entertain teens while also making a profound difference in, in their lives. Well, Susan, thanks for joining me today. The title of the book, again, is Quest of a Teenage Mystic. Susan, where can my listeners get copies of your book? Um, you can order online, Barnes & Noble, Chapters, Amazon, um, or any local bookstore you can order it. As hinted before, this is part of a trilogy, I believe, so there's more to come in the future, right? There is. There's a second book that I'm working on now. And then the third book, of course, is the kids' book, the Live Net book, that I'm hoping will continue to write itself as long as kids are reading and experimenting. Um, so, yeah, two books from me, one book from the kids. Thank you, Susan, for joining me today. For iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lippman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lippman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lippman on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Orphan Spirit, a memoir, and the author is Maria Starr, and Maria joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Maria. Hi, Steve. How are you? Just great to have you with us. This is going to be quite a journey. This is your journey as you talk to us right at the beginning you say you, you were developed in a schizophrenic's womb for nine months and then given away went through six foster homes and basically felt you weren't worth anything is that right totally <laughs> yes that is very when true. did that catch up with you how old were you when suddenly you had all those feelings that you you know you must not be worth anything i don't ever remember not feeling that way I don't ever remember. Wow. No. Mm. No. That that kind of a feeling, what does it do to you? What does it do to a person who feels they're not wanted? Well, it affects every area of, of um, it, it affected every area of my life. Um, without a, a strong foundation of self-esteem, it's so difficult to have any self-confidence or... Um, initiate things it's it's just uh, debilitating now even after you finally did get parents that took you in did they adopt you yes they did yes okay you were adopted Loving people and and they tried to do everything they thought they should do they did take care of you yes. give you what you need yes. right yep they were wonderful people yes they were strong farm people mm -hmm. um uh, large family both came from large families um and yeah they were all about family and helping children they couldn't have their own children so they adopted the three of us but still deep within you this feeling of rejection and abandonment as you call it absolutely yes wow yes wow so yeah. biological is really i mean it's it's everything 
Well, it's certainly, now, I, no, not really, because the environment that I was finally raised in really also helped. I mean, it gave me, ground, it grounded me, it, it gave me a lot of things, a lot of tools to use later on in life to, to face the reality of who I thought I was. So it was really important. The, I would never downplay the role that that environment right. had on me. But but still, you didn't feel you were lovable, wanted. You no, kind that's of, very true. Kind of, yeah. as you put it, I scrambled through 20 years of dysfunctional relationships. <laughs> so yes. you had a hard time uh, having an intimate relationship. Yes, very much so. Yes. And did you marry? I did. I married, uh, yes, that was going to be my way out of everything. I was going to have a wonderful, I was going to create my own wonderful, loving family. And um, I did that uh, for about five years, but he left me. And uh, I I think that when you don't sort your initial... um, the, the initial foundation of who you are if you don't if you don't figure that out and sort it and come to some kind of grips with it then you repeat that and when he left me I went into complete devastation of early abandonment I was just devastated and that led to addictions it did it led to addictions and it led to one after another of more failed relationships mm-hmm. you have two children of your own I do. And your first child, a daughter, uh, she has struggles? She does. She was diagnosed with um, post-traumatic stress disorder and disassociative identity disorder, which used to be called um, multiple personality disorder. But before she could attain a diagnosis that really fit her, she self-medicated her own pain and confusion, and she developed addictions. And she and I lost complete contact with each other for about 10 years. So why did that happen? What, because of all the stuff that was going on in your life, you couldn't focus on her? Well, that's true, but she left, she left the area and didn't tell anyone she was leaving it, and she was really involved in hard drugs and a hard way of life uh, involved with those drugs. So did, she just didn't bother letting anyone know that she was gone. Did she blame you? Um, off and on, for sure. Off and on throughout life, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, she sort of vacillates between I'm God and I don't make any mistakes ever, and I'm the devil and I'm just responsible for everything that's wrong in the world. Now, did she have contact with her uh, father? Yes, she did, oddly enough, because he never wanted her, and, and she was one of the reasons that he left me. Oh. Um, but but oddly enough, he did keep in touch. Um, it was kind of remarkable because he never uh, told me that he knew that she was even alive. He didn't contact me or tell me that he was relating to her at all. So you finally get back together, and you end up in a family support group. Yes, yes, yes. And that family support group, the facilitator of that group, was really interested in my sharing about my daughter. And she asked me if she thought that my daughter was well enough to join me in um, forming and preparing a presentation to be given to our local mental health and addiction professionals. And she said she very much would like to do that. She's similar to me in that she would love to be able to help someone. She doesn't want her life to be just a waste. So you and uh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to uh, take you in another direction. But out of that support group and all this uh, uh, advice, voila, the book. Yes, yes, um, that's right. Uh, at the end of the presentation, several of the people came up and told us that they thought it was just excellent. And would we consider writing a book? So, I mean, she and I thought about it and talked about it all the way home and decided that we would uh, try and go back through the past together. And um, and it was a very rewarding experience. If this book does nothing else, it's been priceless for my daughter and I. It was emotionally exhausting to do this, but we persevered with it and, and we did it. And, um, yes, it was just a, a wonderful experience. If it does nothing else, it's, it's um, helped us sort through years. Someone may describe it as tell-all kind of book, no holding back, real down-to-earth. Yes, yes, 
Yes, absolutely. For years, I've written personal journals and composed songs and poetry. I had boxes and boxes of recorded history, so I began the whole process by simply writing my memoirs. And those memoirs, as you went back through them, as you've already mentioned, uh, a painful experience, but therapeutic at the same time? Very much so, yes. Yes, very therapeutic. We got to we got to go over episodes and scenes and scenarios and sort through them and and it's tell where each person was coming from at the time and it just it just offered so much clarity and um, you see the person differently. You 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 know our assumptions are always different than mm-hmm. than what really is on both sides of anybody's uh, journey. I find it interesting that you say you're just an ordinary person. I am Jane Doe. Why do you say yes. that? I, I want this book to be for Joe Blow. And what I mean by that is there's so many people who don't feel valued for simply being on this earth. They think they have to have wealth and fame and, you know, a beautiful home and a great job and I want people to, to I want people who are just ordinary people to know that they matter. You know, when we meet people we say, you know, what do you do for a living? We don't say who are you because it's it doesn't seem important, but it's really hard for people who who can't answer that question, what do you do? <laughs> or or if they do, they feel that it's, you know, not as good as someone else or or uh, not as valuable. As I look at your table of contents, I see a whole list, which are chapter titles of different names. Now, who are these people? They are a raft of dysfunctional relationships, and every one of them was a stepping stone. So a a dysfunctional relationship that you had with them? Yes. Yes. So I see, I mean, I mean, are these, these? so these are all real people. I mean, you may have changed yes. their names, but uh, real yes. people, yeah. Yeah, they're all real people. And then there's my daughter. She's in there as well, it, speaking from her own voice, and she tells some of her journey in three sections. And she, because I've already said that she was diagnosed with dissociative identity disorder she also has a couple of her alters speaking so they are in the book as well so these multiple personality disorder where you be you have more than one identity right wow correct that's got to be uh i I can't very interesting yeah i can't even imagine and yet today how's she doing She's doing wonderfully well. She's baby-stepping her way out of the past, just like I did. Um, And she's got a wonderful therapist. uh, And she's doing as well as more more well than I could have ever hoped for. She's doing really well. So she has her days. She has her setbacks. But um, she every step I tell everyone every step she takes back, she takes two steps forward, and that's continued to this day. She's growing up. She's growing up. She, she, you know, you're arrested. When you start addictions, you're arrested at whatever age that was, and she was really young, so she's, she's growing up. Very important to have uh, someone to talk to. Is that real important along this journey to, uh, you know, a, pro- yes. a professional, v- very important, or can you talk to anybody? I think... I think that you can talk to anyone. I think a professional um, that's really um, studied in your field is really helpful. I think it's wonderful to have the support of your family and and your you know your your extended family. The more support that a person can have, the better, um, of course. Um, and just like, you know, that's another message I really want to get out there is never give up on your kids. It doesn't matter. I mean, there's lots of people like me who are suffering, losing a child to addiction. And just never give up. If they only knew this story, they'd know that there's, if, if my daughter can do this well, I'm a little emotional about that. Sure. But if she, if she can do this well, anyone can. Hmm. Well, that's uh, what a message of hope. Right there. Yes. Definitely. Yes. Definitely. 
I definitely want to impart that. Um, never give up. Never give up on your children. Don't give up on yourself. Yeah. Well, this is a book of insights and also comfort, like you were, yes. like you're sharing with us, of a book of hope. No matter, yes. No matter how bad it may seem or how dark it may be, it's real to those who are yes. in it. It's real darkness. Yes. There's always hope. Yes, yes. And and the other message that I really want to get out there is is the destruction of shame. Um, we have to we have to face shame and and not be afraid to to you know deal with it. <laughs> mm. You know, G- Jesus said, if you bring forth what's in you, what you bring forth will save you. And if you don't bring forth what's in you, what's in you will destroy you. And I really believe this. I, I also really listen to the people who quote wisdom down through the centuries. Um, I really believe this is true. And, you know, you have to face who you think you are. I was I was amazed when I was diagnosed with cancer. The first thought I had was, well, of course I've got cancer. Of course a piece of garbage would get cancer. That mm. was the first thought I had, and I could not believe that I said that to myself. I thought, wow, I thought I dealt with that. I thought, I thought that was in the past. I thought I no longer felt like that. But it was there just right in my face. Well, very- and and that, this, this has been a big journey of dealing with that, too. Looking back and dealing with that, dealing with all of the things that I was ashamed of and the building up of self-esteem so that when you build up your self-esteem, you have a foundation, you have a strong, grounded foundation to be able to look at what you think about yourself. And then start there, start there, baby, baby step your way out of shame. Day by day, day by day, build a new person. If you don't like what you see, change it. Well, there's no doubt you have done that. And we I can, have. We can I really feel have. It. That can person f- doesn't even exist right. anymore. Yeah, we can feel it in your passion and your voice. And thank you so mm, much. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Maria, for writing your book, Orphan thank Spirit, you. a memoir, Maria Starr. We've been listening to Maria, so tell us the best way to get your book, Maria. I have a website, www.maria. Orphan, Orphan Maria, pardon me, um, dot com. I have a website, and you can get it um, from iUniverse and from Amazon and several other. I I'm, I'm, don't have them in front of me. Sure. Yeah, any online bookstore would be able to order mm-hmm. it. Yes. But again, OrphanMaria.com is... Maria's website, and you can order the book there, or go to, of course, as she's pointed out, to iUniverse, the publisher. So thank you so much, Maria, for joining us on iUniverse Radio. Thank you very much, Steve. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown. And after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings from iUniverse. This is J. Douglas Barker. The title of the book is But You Look So Good. Stories by Carcinoid Cancer Survivors. 
and our author, who joins me from California, Maria J. Gonzalez. Welcome to the program, Maria. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Good to visit with you. You're talking and have written about a very important topic for our contemporary society. There are some issues out there, and there have been some problems with this particular disease. What is your background? Why did you decide to share these stories? I am a uh, nurse practitioner and physician assistant, and I'm a third-year medical student. And the reason I chose to write about carcinoid cancer is because I'm a survivor. I have it. I have this cancer. You have that cancer. And I'll, yes, and a lot of people do not know or realize that neuroendocrine um, cancers exist. In fact, a lot of people are told that it is a benign cancer, in quotes, a benign tumor, and that once it is removed, they are cured. But that's not so. Share for my listeners what the term or how the term carcinoid, that's not a term that's well known by most individuals who might be listening today. Carcinoid is but one of many types of tumors under the umbrella of neuroendocrine cancer. The majority of uh, neuroendocrine tumors are carcinoid, carcinoid cancer. And I decided to title it, talk about these uh, stories of carcinoid survivors because the majority of them are carcinoid survivors. You have and yes, yeah, so you you will you have mentioned this in your in your book in your writing about the male gender mm-hmm. in specific that a lot of the tumor sites or one of the more well known sites would be the pancreas or colorectal cancer. The majority are of the intestines, small intestine in particular, but it can hit any site. For instance, the pancreas, as you mentioned. They're called VIPomas, and in fact, this is a cancer that Steve Jobs died of. Mm. And it was in Forbes magazine, so I'm not um, breaking any confidentiality when I talk about this. You have, and there all... are other uh, well-known people who have died of this cancer, including Audrey Hepburn, and I was. Hmm totally shocked when I discovered this. There's a link also to heart disease from what I'm understanding in your book. Yes. It, the serotonin that the tumors produce will affect the heart valves, especially the tricuspid valve, because this is where the blood comes back into the heart to get oxygenated so it can be carried to, throughout the rest of the body. And what happens is the valve will become stiff and not, and you'll have a backflow of blood instead of uh, it closing and allowing the blood to flow in properly. And the, the other valve that's affected is the pulmonary valve. And a lot of people will need valve replacement. Maria, how would you how would you describe you have heart failure? How would you describe your book? You have uh, have completed a total of 254 pages. There is a lot of detail in your book. Was this a book that you felt would be beneficial to pre- practitioners uh, or is this for the general public? Who did you have in mind when you wrote this? I really wanted to spread the word about this cancer. I wanted to I wanted to enhance awareness, and I, I didn't want to get in. I didn't want to write a medical book. I intend to, but I wanted to let people know that this cancer exists and that it does take lives. People can live with it for a long, long time, and if the only time that it is 
curable is if it's found early and in the appendix and it's removed. And there are no nodes in the peritoneal cavity that are that have been affected that have cancerous cells because they do a pretty good search when they um, go in after the appendix. And lo and behold, they will find carcinoid and it's removed and they are cured. But the majority of people, by the time they go in to their physician with multiple complaints, they have metastasis. And by that, I mean it's already gone to the liver, so they are stage four cancer. Mm. And in answer to your question, I wanted to increase awareness, and I will continue to do so. Share your thoughts. Not only because, not only because I have it, but because I care about people knowing, especially when they come back from their physician saying, oh, I had surgery, and I am now cured, I'm cancer-free, I happen to believe that there is no cure, per se, for a lot of cancers. Share your thoughts with the listener about your view of nutrition, how important that is, and what type of nutrition would you recommend? For cancer in general or for carcinoid? For, for both. I really, I truly believe that we need to have a good intake of, pardon me, protein. I happen to be vegetarian, but we can get a lot of protein from seeds, from other plants, and I believe in eating small meals versus three large ones. I'm against eating humongous amounts of uh, meat in particular, fats, um, and sugar. Sugar is a big one. Mm-hmm. I mean, who ever heard of kids drinking pink milk? And, it's, and I believe in reading labels. Look at the first ingredient, and you will see that the majority of foods contain a lot of sugar. It's first ingredient, and sodium. Sodium, we get triple or maybe even more than triple the amount of salt that we need in our our daily uh, diet. I interviewed an author last week who had written a book on medical cannabis, you have that as a reference, or not that particular book, but that idea referenced in your in your uh, in your findings. What are your thoughts about that? I believe that the endo um, cannabinoids in um, medical cannabis play a huge role in fighting not only symptoms, but some people claim that they have been cured of cancer, I'm still on the fence about that. No real substantiated Uh, data at this point. Pardon? No substantiating data at this point. It's all anecdotal. Uh, There are many places one can go to, like Aunt Zelda's, if one is on Facebook, and Rick Simpson is the father, really, of, he claims that he was cured from his cancer. And people do not get mind altered. There's no, you know, they don't, they usually vaporize it and make tinctures that they apply on lesions or sores. And they are healed. But I personally have not, uh, even though my physician recommended that I get a medical card, a card for to go to a club to to get what I needed, I still have not done so. But they have strains now that can help with anxiety, with insomnia, with nausea, vomiting, and having worked as a nurse and seeing how people suffer and conventional treatment and doesn't help, why not? Why not try medical cannabis? 
What is the BRAT diet and its significance? How is it useful? It is for dehydration. And when one is so depleted of electrolytes from diarrhea, which is probably one of the biggest symptoms of uh, this cancer, BRAT stands for uh, bananas, rice, applesauce, tea, and later on, as the symptoms are handled, toast. So a very bland, very easy on the GI tract, and one can add Pedialyte or uh, we now have some uh, electrolyte tablets that people can take if they're not vomiting. But I always advise taking any of these um, foods in small amounts, starting with, say, half an ounce, progressing to an ounce to as tolerated. You have a lot of uh, individual stories in the book. Is there anything that stands out to you uh, among the stories, or are they all pretty important? They all have their own unique voice, and in my opinion, every story in the book will offer the reader a very intimate portrait of who they are and what what they have gone through to get a diagnosis of this cancer. And the uh, the diagnosis takes a while, doesn't it? It's not always easily easily discovered. Correct. On average, it can take up to 7.5 to 10 years to be diagnosed. People go through an assortment of diagnoses before the correct one is finally uh, found. They may be told they have irritable bowel syndrome. That's usually the, the very first uh, choice on the list when, a, when a, we present to a physician with the relentless diarrhea that usually is a presenting symptom. By the time flushing has occurred, there's metastasis, and even then, we are doubted. We are told we have, we're in menopause for women, that we're closet alcoholics, that we're neurotic, that maybe it's because we're eating spicy foods. And not until we keep banging on the door do we get that diagnosis after a biopsy. Listen to your body is the message. Oh, absolutely. And have physicians listen to us, especially the ones who are not who are the old, you know, the older doctors, and nothing against older physicians here, but I really, really want to get the message across that when a patient presents with symptoms that do not fit a pattern that was taught in medical school, that the patient will give you the history, will give you the diagnosis by giving you the history, that they need to look beyond the hoofbeats. They need to look for zebras. We are zebras. If you can't find it, you can't detect it. Great advice, Maria. Your story itself is also one that is a challenge. Share a little of that, Maria. Titled it Maria's Wild Ride. When I was diagnosed, I had been to my oncologist multiple times, and I had gone because I had uh, I have a history of having had breast cancer. Years later. I started having all these strange symptoms that I couldn't explain, even though I was working internal medicine with multiple specialists. And he did not, he totally invalidated my symptoms. He called me neurotic. He said I had irritable bowel syndrome because by this time I was losing a lot of weight and having a lot of diarrhea. At one point in time, looked me straight in the eyes and asked me if I was a closet alcoholic. Well, from what you've described, then, it's important for the individual to take charge of their own health, not just accept a diagnostic uh, comment like that, and also oh, to, to, to find a way to fight disease if it uh, attacks them. Absolutely. We have to be our own self-advocates, not just take the word of the physician, as was done in the olden days in the Marcus Welby era, right? to research. It has changed for sure. The title of the book is, But You Look So Good. Stories by Carcinoid Cancer Survivors, our author, Maria J. Gonzalez. Maria, where can my listeners get copies of your book? Barnes & Noble, Amazon, iUniverse. iUniverse is a publisher. 
or one can go to the page on if you're on Facebook and I will answer any questions. I will direct people to where they can get the book. So you can get it on um, uh, Kindle for your Kindle or the actual, you know, hard copy of the book, which also lists a lot of resources for people to go to, not just for carcinoids, but for cancer in general. I have a chapter on self-advocacy, and at the end of every story, I have little quotes, like, for instance, by Norman Cousins, fear is a great accelerator of disease, hope, faith, confidence, and the will to live set an auspicious stage for recovery. Excellent. Well said. This book is one for anyone who is touched by this horrific disease, cancer. There is hope. And there is an answer out there. If you'll just do some research and study a little bit, this book will give you a lot of resources in order to accomplish that if you're going through that challenge. The title again is But You Look So Good, Stories by Carcinoid Cancer Survivors. Our author has been Maria J. Gonzalez. And may I add that the reason I titled it But You Look So Good is that the majority of people with this cancer do not look like our typical view of what a cancer survivor looks like. A lot of a lot of us do not look like we have cancer. The reason the cover has a zebra look to it is because this is a zebra. This cancer is a zebra. You also mentioned that it can hide for up to seven years. Those symptoms may not be diagnosed as much as seven years. So it's important to take care of your health. Thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your story and also the story of others on how they approached and are surviving carcinoid cancer. But You Look So Good is the title. Maria J. Gonzalez has been my guest. For iUniverse, iUniverse Radio is, is brought to you Douglas by iUniverse, Martin. the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.